Arg, Not Another Podcast About Book Publishing, hosted by William May, in which the author finds himself embroiled in a podcast about book publishing. Hey there, it's Maggie Dimitrova, back with another episode of Arg, Not Another Podcast About Book Publishing. Today, we're thrilled to present Building a Life with Poetry, an interview with poet and editor Lenny Della Roca. Join our host, William May, for an inspiring chat with Lenny, the brilliant mind behind the e-poem and the founding editor of the South Florida Poetry Journal. You can explore his innovative work in witchery, available online at South Florida Poetry Journal. Welcome to the episode. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to uh, this episode of ARG. And uh, with me today is Lenny Delaraca. Uh, Lenny, hello. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks. Um, I, I have to be very thankful for Len to Lenny because uh, this is actually our second interview. The first one, let's just say, misplaced the recording. It, it <laughs> went out into the internet ether, never to be heard from again. And uh, so uh, Lenny was very kind to uh, allow us to, to bother him again for another uh, interview. Thank you. No trouble. No no worries. And Lenny, uh, you are the former publisher and one of the former editors of the South Florida Poetry Review. Journal, sorry. Yeah. Founding editor and publisher. And then I worked with Michael Mack and Omara. He became managing editor. Uh, and then just last year, I stepped back and Michael took over uh, the full publishing and editing of the of the magazine, along with Judy Ireland, uh, Meryl Stratford, and Lucia Lau. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about what you're working on now, because it's very it's an interesting uh, project. And so I'm just sort of wondering if you can talk a little bit about the process of starting the journal yeah. and how that came about for you. Because you, your background is more as a writer, as a poet, originally. I've always been a poet, yeah, since 1968. <laughs> so I started the journal, actually, it was called uh, Interview with a Poet in February of 2016. And what I did was I interviewed three poets a month. I asked them each five questions, but it was the same five questions for the three of them and then just posted that on the website interview uh, with a poet. Um, I did that uh, February by May. I did one again, but I also included poetry and that's how I started. That was that became South Florida Poetry Journal, Sofo Plojo, Soflo Pojo. So uh, it became uh, South Florida Poetry Jur Journal in uh, May of 2016. And interview with the poet was a feature, was one of the links on that website, along with the poems. And when you started out, you began the process with like a sort of rotate. Well, were you originally the editor or did you have the rotating editorial staff at the beginning? Well, the way I did it originally was that I had folks email me their submissions. And then what I did was I had a handful of uh, poets, friends, mostly friends. Yeah. And I sent them batches of poems. I would send, uh, you know, one submission to 
say, Barbara Nightingale and another one to Gary Kay and another one to um, Don Burns or whoever it might be, Michael O'Mara. Um, and they would say yes or no to the poems and send them back. And then at the end of the season with a, for, the, for, for the issue, uh, the closing period, I would take up all the yeses who got the most yeses and that would go into the issue and the noes did not. Um, so that's the way it worked at first. And then right about the time, I guess, when I asked Michael to be managing editor, we did things a little bit different and that we would have, well, we started, yeah, we did have an editor for each issue. Like Stacy Kiner was the first editor. She's on staff. She was one of the readers, uh, assistant editors. Um, so she edited the first issue and then we had Merrill, you know, do the second or whatever the, whatever the rotation was. So we had different readers that were basically, we called them associate editors, become the editor for each issue. Um, and then when we kind of went through most of them, we would bring in guest editors. Denise Duhamel was one, uh, Mary Galvin was another, uh, so we had a series of guest editors come in and then things changed. Uh, Michael, we went with Michael, decided we wanted to do submittable. So we did that. And so now things are sent submittable and we have readers. I'm one of the readers now. I'm not one of the editors. But Michael, Lucia, Merrill and Judy are the senior editors and they compile all the yeses and nos and whatever. And then and they go to the issue with that. So now I'm curious as a writer, what did, what you learned from that editorial process? What was it that that I mean? Because one of the things, one of the most difficult things in the pro, in being a writer is that submission process and just how you know. I mean, it can literally be 100 rejections before you get even the glimmer of a submission sure. being accepted. So um, I'm curious from that side what what you've taken away. Well. I was surprised to see how many poems were very much on the same subjects. It seemed to me that uh, as I was reading, the more I read, the you'd see a lot of the same types of poems for whatever reason. Certainly when COVID came about, you got all these COVID poems. And while we're South Florida Poetry Journal, we never said we were regional. We never said that we wanted Florida poems, but yet... I guess folks seem to think if they sent Florida poems, they maybe had a better chance of getting in, which is not true. So that's probably the biggest takeaway that I took was that folks just seem to think we were Florida, a regional Florida thing, and that we get one unrelated, unrelated that folks, strangers sending in poems, but they all seem to be about, or a lot of them uh, seem to be about, you know, their mother dying or their the trip to Paris or whatever, whatever it is, I'm just kind of throwing that out, but they seem to have a, a, a same kind of subject matter. Now, were these, um, in terms of the subject matter, do you think that it was more like with COVID it's obviously like, well, everybody's in the same situation and it's what you're yeah. writing about because it's your experience right now uh, with other things. Is it more sort of the Stanley Kunitz kind of where like, you know, all poems are about uh, life, death or the changing of the seasons kind of thing, where it's like ultimately as poets, there's a limit to what we can, you know, to, to and, and certain experiences yeah. lend themselves to, to that. Obviously it's a lot of childhood poems, a lot of the past, a lot of 
past tense poems, you know, this is what happened when I was a kid, whatever, good and bad. So you, yeah, that, that, and that's just such a broad thing, but I was meaning more along the lines of while it may be a memory or that sort of thing, a lot of the memory seemed to have been the same, whether it was pictures out of a photo album or whatever. And that makes it tough because, you know, as you're reading these, you're seeing, say, for example, you're reading and the three, five poems come in and the better, the best poem of the bunch is about, you know, a photo that, that was of their family or whatever. And then you start seeing other poems from other submissions that are basically the same kind of a thing. So now it's a matter of, uh, do you want to have all the same subject matter? Or you want to change it up or whatever? I tended to not want to have all or many of the same subject matter. Uh, and so however good a poem might be about the photo album, as the, the example is, we may not take it because we've already taken one or two others that were about photo albums, a photo uh, in, a, in a photo album, and they were great. So I don't want to take another one. So that's some of what, and then uh, then overall, I mean, the biggest thing was that we just got a lot of stuff that just we didn't like. You know, there was a lot of that. I mean, more than anything else, you get right. tons of poetry that just isn't up to snuff in our opinion, and we don't take it. Right. Yeah, and no, I think that's when 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 you talk to, um, I mean, I listen to um, agents discussing manuscripts that come in, and it seems very clear that the large majority of them come from people who they're like, they don't know what they're doing. They, they send the manuscripts and they're like the, the stuff that they send them is not. Yeah. You know, well, you, get, you, you get a lot of amateurs, you get a lot of, uh, right. especially younger kids. I mean, I say kids, I'm talking even teens and twenties who sure. are starting out and they're, they're, you know, they're not uh, seasoned yet in poetry. They're not uh, developed and so, you know, right away those get rejected because they're just, um, they're just- They're not, amateur. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you narrow it down to the ones that aren't in that category, then it becomes a matter of which are the best of those. Right. So as a writer looking at the submission process with that awareness, yeah. um, do you think that that has sort of impacted the kinds of poems you think it's worth submitting? Um, I don't know that that comes into play at all. I mean, I don't really think about that. No, people submit what they submit and we read them and we make it. No, no, I meant I meant that when you as a writer think about the poetry that you're creating and that you're oh. trying to send out, do yeah. you think about the question of trying to create poetry that's going to be different than, uh, you know, those the, yeah. for, for lack of a better word, sort of poetic yeah. forms or tropes? I, I know what you mean. No, um, I write what I write. I, I'm aware that, you know, uh, depending on what subject matter I'm writing about, maybe, you know, if I send in a certain type of poem on a subject, a specific subject, uh, that there may very well be a lot of that that the editor is seeing. But I just write what I write and nothing I've read in the journal, the submissions coming in really came to affect uh, what I write at all and what I send out. I do. I write what I write and send them out. And that's really the extent of it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I I find it interesting. Okay. When, when you're looking at these poems, one of the questions becomes, you know, we, we talk a lot about like the MFA form and how like there's been this movement towards certain kinds of writing 
that has been influenced by the academics of the MFA program and, and the kind of aesthetics that they are interested in. And I'm sort of wondering about, are you talking about things that come from that kind of direction where, where it's like, these are the things that are appreciated in poetry and so poets are writing them, or are you talking about more of the the question of, as a poet, you have certain kinds of experiences in your life, and you're going to write about them, and all our lives share similarity, and so we're talking about the universality of poetry. Um, in terms of MFA writing, I, I, I don't have an MFA. I haven't right. gone to any university or school to to learn this stuff. I'm I'm from the street in terms of my education and poetry. So I've learned sure, but I'm sure reading. as an editor when well, you're looking I, at work. I, I you know, I happen to get a feel for what's an MFA poem is as you call it, because it seems to me that there is a certain type of style in, in writing. And I suppose that comes from what they've learned in school from in some MFA program. I, I think I get what that is. And it doesn't really come into play in whether it's uh, accepted or not, because if it's a great poem, it's great and we'll take it. If it's not, we don't. So it all always comes down to that. And that's a matter of preference, I suppose. But there's that. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a question of whether or not the sort of qualities you're talking about seeing again and again are more things that you think are born out of some sense of what poetry should be doing or are they born out of the question of like you know the universality of experience out of like you know we, we we're going to write about as poets important things like you talk about you know people writing a lot of poems about their mother dying well that's the kind of thing you write a poem sure. about right well um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's just life experience, right? That's what people write about. That's what we all write about is everything we've experienced and things that have that in the past, some things in the present, uh, some things in the future, speculative uh, poetry. But um, it just seems to me that um, people write what they write and they draw from their own experiences and that's what they write about. I mean, we all do that. So now you've said you moved on from SoFlo Pojo. Now you're more focused on uh, your own projects. I know that one of them at the moment is a new journal, which is sort of uh, being hosted through SoFlo Pojo, but it's a separate project as I gather it, right? Yeah, it's embedded at SoFlo Pojo at South Florida Poetry Journal because I didn't want to start up a whole nother uh, website, another a whole nother um, journal outside of the the South Florida Poetry Journal. I mean, um, so one of the links when you go to soflopojo.com or southfloridapoetryjournal.com, one of the links there is Witchery, and that is the little embedded journal. I have, I think, four issues there now. And now this journal focuses on a uh, a form that you created, which you're calling an e-poem. And that's that's a visual reference, not yes. I, I want to I just want to be clear to the audience that uh, it's not like an e-poem because it, it exists as an online electronic poem or something. It's it's a uh, a reference to the shape of the poem. Yeah. Emulating the shape of the letter E. Yeah. I had written about three years or so ago a poem that when I was done with it kind of looked like a big E sort of. And I thought it was really interesting. So what I started doing was writing 
poems and then purposely shaping them into a knee because that was organic. That just happened to be the way it was I come across. So now I started writing these poems and, and then shaping them into the E form. And I came up with some rules, you know, so the, there's a certain, there's an E poem looks like, and basically it's a big E on the page, right? It's got to look like a big E. You got a long first line, shorter lines, a long middle line, shorter lines, and then a long ending line. So you've got an E. And then what I did was I invented rules for it. And that is, there must be the same number of lines above that long middle line as there are below it. So if you count the lines coming down to the long middle line, I more often than not use 17 lines for whatever, I don't know why, but that's just how it turns out. So I count down 17 lines and then there's the long middle line. And then there must be 17 lines going forward, including the long uh, end line. So there's 17 lines above, 17 lines below. And it could be 16, or it could be 18. I, I, For witchery, I did take poems that were 10 and 10 or 12 and 12, but I'm now going to make it a rule where it's got to be at least 15 lines above and below uh, to do that. And um, I also made it so that... Uh, the middle line tries to be the turn in the poem. It's not a hard, fast rule, but if it's great if you can if you can do that. And then also, if you're gonna publish this in a print journal, I found that you can't have the poem to be more than 19 lines above and below. However, whatever that comes to 19 and 19, because then it goes to a second page, and you can't you can't break it. There's no stanza breaks. So, and you, and there's no page breaks. It's got to stay on the one page. Now, the exception to that is if you jump, if you're going to have a second page, then it's got to be another E shape, you see? So then it's like a double E. And then I, I have a couple of those. And then I have one that's triple. I have, uh, it's one poem. It's three pages long. And each page is a big E on the page. And it's not necessarily all 17 and 17. It could be 17 and 17 on the first page. It could be 16 and 16 on the seven and 18 and 18 on the third. But, you know, as long as they're all symmetrical, the same. So now I'm, I'm curious, you brought an example of one of these. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear that. And then we can talk a little bit more about that form. Uh, so we, we can give an example of it for the audience to listen to. Now, this is one of your poems, I gather. Yeah. You want me to read it? Yeah, sure. This is called uh, That Wonderful Theory. The equation is of a humble hand that saves the idiot world from gargoyles of a savage god. Someone has risen from the rhetoric with a mandrake. She says galaxies shine in the smallest things. She says there is glory in the darkness. She says love makes the last walnut in a never-ending cupboard a meal. She says fools fall up the ladder of bewilderment. She says what grace there is in death shines like coal. The dying woman on the verge of 96 finds laughter in the palm of her hand. She has come to break the backs of wolves that believe their own howls. Miss 96, woman with a soothing mother tongue for every crushed star. The equation? She drew it in her sleep. 
which means there's more than Fibonacci in the numbers, more than dark matter in the space between us. Kiss one of us here, says she, and one of us is kissed on the other side of the moon. It's a kiss that saves the wicked world. So, I, I mean, it's interesting. I think I can hear sort of where that, that you know, because those short lines are so rapid. And I think there's that repetition also that you're using in there that I, I think works well yeah. to sort of speed things. Yeah, that so, does. Mean, yeah, the poem will speed up as you read it when the shorter lines, because they're shorter right. to read, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I find that interesting. I'm, I'm sort of curious, uh, when you're looking at them as submissions, what are the qualities that interest you um, beyond just sort of that that formality? Beyond the rules, beyond the format, I'm looking for poems that are, um, for me, magical, uh, mysterious, that have a great use of ambiguity. ambiguity. Um, I love tone and atmosphere in poems. Um, and I'm not, I, I, it doesn't necessarily have to have an emotional core. Uh, if it does, great. Most poems do, I suppose. But uh, I, I'd rather feel a poem on the textural, on the atmospheric, uh, on the mysterious, on the contemplative, uh, before I get into what is what does this mean kind of a thing. I don't care if it means anything. A lot of the poems I like, the e-poems or otherwise, are poems that I don't, I don't know what the hell they're about, you know. Uh, I love that. I love, I could, I could read a poem and really not sort of, you know, get it, but love it, you know. Um, so that's what I kind of look for. And although I'm open-minded, I mean, I, I see, you know, uh, something that's really a great poem that may not have any of that in it, but it's just a good poem, you know, that's acceptable as well. But that's just, you know, my preference. Right. So, I mean, for you, a lot of it is about that experience, that that sort of mystery that exists there in in the possibility of what the poem is doing. Yes, it, it's, you know, poetry is an art. And I look at, I look at poems uh, as little pieces of art. I look at poems, especially the e-poems that I write, I look at them sometimes as little works, little paintings or little vignettes or little videos uh, in a sense. Um, they may or may not tell a complete story and they may end up in the air at the end. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, that's just the interesting mysterious part of poetry that it explores, you know, reality that's not always on the surface. So for you, what is it do you think that 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 has made the e-poem so exciting for you that you're focusing on that in that way? Um, do you think there's something it unlocks as a form? Is there something you're seeing in those poems that you might not have noticed in other poems you've encountered from you know, your, your work as an editor? Yeah. Um, the form has forced me to make cuts that I might not otherwise make. It's forced me to pay attention more. I mean, you always pay attention to the line and to the phrase and to the word and to the, the whole thing. But it's forced me because I'm only going to mostly stay on one page and because it's got to be in that shape, the lines have to move along the the line the, the line lengths where you break the lines when you get down to that middle e uh, and then beyond 
it forces me to make um, decisions that I might not otherwise make if I just wrote it out as a regular free verse poem or a, you know, or a pantoum or a, you know, a prose poem. So it, it really is really demanding. Uh, and that's sort of not obvious when you look at it, but it, but it really is. It's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. And, and not in terms of making it a good epoch. I mean, you could write anything and make it an E and it could be junk. But to make a good epoch, you got to really pay attention to your choices of words, your choices of lines, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, one thing that's interesting, I think about, um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, I think you might know her, Frisia McKee, who's also a, a poet who Absolutely. she was at. Yeah. Um, she and I were talking Frieza about used how to do, Frieza used to be for Self Lopoja. Frieza used to be one of our review editors. Yeah, no. Well, at yeah. one point, she and I were talking, and she discussed. You know, there's that sense at a certain point in a poem where you don't want to do a line that's so different than the rest of the poems right. lines because right. it sticks out in this way that you know to do that. And I, I feel like there's something about the e poem that is liberating in that way. That it's like, on the one hand, you're you're turning that into a form. So it's like, there's a way to use these two lines together that actually functions. They don't all have to be one thing or the other. Exactly. I mean, that adds tension to the poem when that happens. If it's done well, if it comes off well. Um, so that adds tension and it adds surprise. You know, that's another quality that I really love in poetry is surprise. I like to be surprised. And sometimes, you know, some poets will say, well, you got to take that line out or change it because it's, it just, uh, it stands out. Well, sometimes that's great if it stands out for whatever reason, you know, uh, you don't necessarily change it or throw it out just for the fact that it stands out. You know, I'm also wondering, how is it you came to the name Witchery for that journal? How does that connect for you? I had written a poem that used the word witchery in it, and it just stuck with me. And and, and it wasn't just, I just, I don't know, it's intuitive. Like a lot of the poems I write, it's all intuition. I don't, I don't make decisions before I write a poem. I, I go into it open so that I'm kind of feeling for the muse right and so witchery is just it just happened it just came to me witchery to me that's that's interesting i mean that's very much in line with a lot of what you said as you were pointing out um i think you're also working at the moment on a or you're 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 finishing work on an anthology i think right um a florida yeah. poets basically you 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 sort of open sourced it as it were or or networked with the poets yeah. to to put that together yeah, um, I first explored the idea of, of working with others to do a, an anthology of Florida poets because it hadn't been done in many years. I think Ann Hinga uh, did one many years ago. So um, I didn't get anywhere <clears throat> in that way. So I decided, well, I'll just do one online and embed it at South Florida Poetry Journal, just another link on there for, the, for this anthology. I called it chameleon chimera and uh i i started off i asked i think the first person i asked was uh, uh rita maria martinez or somebody and then rick campbell and i said send me a poem for the anthology send me your best poem or one of your best poems and then you know a bio and then and then nominate another florida poet 
that you'd like to include in the anthology. And so Rita sent me her poem and then she nominated another Florida poet. And then I contacted that poet and I said the same thing, send me your best poem and then nominate another Florida poet. And then I would contact that. And when, you know, daisy chain, the same thing for Rick. A couple of times, a few times, things sort of came to a standstill where I couldn't get a hold of them or they didn't respond. And so I would ask another poet to send me and I'd start the chain all over again. So uh, what I'm doing or what I've done with the uh, with the anthology is uh, when you read uh, it, when you read Rita's poem, because I'm the one that asked her next to her is in parentheses, my initials LD means I'm the one that asked her for the poem. But when you look at the po the poet who she nominated in parentheses next to that person's name is Rita Maria Martinez, because she's the one that nominated and then so on and so forth. So you can track in a lot of cases, you can track the the uh, the line of poets and how, you know, who was nominated by whom. So it's it's sort of just. As I, as you said, it, it it's one it's sort of a chain letter kind of yeah. uh, structure. Sure. And I and you know oh. it was really interesting. It was um, I've learned that there are so many more poets in Florida than I've ever heard or met. I mean, there's you know I know a lot of poets. I've been I've been in the poetry world down here since 1980, so I know a lot of poets. Um, but, you know, mostly from Southeast Florida, I know some from the West Coast, for some up from Tallahassee area, but I've, I've run across poets and good ones uh, who are all over the state and it's poets, uh, and so it was a great thing to learn about these new poets that are, that are new to me. What, what is, uh, is that, is that what surprised you most in that journey with that anthology yeah. or? Yeah, yeah. How many great poets there are in Florida, sure. And I mean, I'm curious in terms of the poems, what sticks out to you? I mean, I'm sure you were saying that you were, I know that you weren't looking specifically for Florida poems. I'm sure there were some that inherently, you know, some poets inherently that's going to be in it because they write about their reality in that way. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious, was there anything that you found looking at this diversity of poets from Florida? Was there anything that, that sort of stuck out to you? within that group, other than just, you know, the quality of the work that you were, you were lucky enough to receive? Well, um, there, you know, you can probably break it down into the, yeah, there was a lot of Florida poems, uh, so much so that I actually put in the letter, uh, the, the, you know, these poems don't necessarily have to be about Florida, because I've gotten a good share of those. So if you have anything other right. than that would be great because I don't want it all to be about Florida poems just because we live in Florida. Um, so there was that. And then because there's such a diverse group of cultures in Florida, so you've got these Latinx and Latino, Latina poems, uh, cultural poems, especially out of the Miami poets from, right. that, uh, from that, you know, poems about, you know, being of Cuban descent or coming from Cuba and, and all other points in Latin America. And then you've got the the nature uh, poems where there's it's a lot about Florida's nature or not it's just nature in general. And I think those are the three biggest things that stood out to me. Those three sort of buckets. Right. You know, I think you know it's interesting. Florida is a very large and diverse place, but we don't think about it. I mean, especially down here, it's like we're in our little bubble. It's such a big place that like 
you tell me what's going on in another part of the state. I would have no clue if you're telling me the truth. Sure. I think that that sort of bundling of the work together from that perspective, it's got to it's got to give you an interesting sort of overview of, of just how much more there is going on around us. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's just there's just so many uh, great poets who write great poetry that has, you know, and they were kind enough to send these really great poems in. And it's just a wonderful experience as you go through the poems. Are there any poets who you discovered through that, who you've you've got other books or anything now that you've been reading or? Who yeah. Who... Um, I, I, I bought a book by um, M.B. McClatchy. And she, I can't, I think she's up in the Tallahassee area somewhere. And uh, I really liked her poem. And uh, I think I remember reading her in journals here and there. Uh, so I bought one of her books and really loved it. I think that was, I can't remember if there was somebody else. I think that was it in terms of the poets that are in the anthology that I recently bought. Of course, some of the poets in the anthology I have there, you know, Denise Duhamel, I have a bunch of her books, uh, you know, Julie right. Wade, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, there, there are definitely a lot of uh, wonderful poets in Florida and who pass through Florida in, in sure. one form or another or or live here in, in some capacity at some point. Yeah. There are certain, you know, literary areas of Florida that people don't think about. It's interesting. I gather, I, I heard that uh, at one point, uh, Robert Frost spent a bunch of time in the Keys. <clears throat> yeah. Which I had not known about until I was living down here. So in, in a certain way, Florida is a crossroad of its own. Sure. I'm curious what you think now as having your perspective on poetry and as as a writer uh trying to get work out there yeah do you feel that like the editorial process is something that that helped you to understand that process better or that being in that position is something that has has been a positive uh boon for you as a writer in other ways yeah um yes and the answer is <laughs> I tend now uh, to look at the masthead on these journals that, and I never did that much before at all. So now when I'm going to send a submission in, before I do so, I spend more time looking at archives, looking at past issues to see what kind of stuff they're publishing. I look at who they're publishing, and I look at the masthead to see who's the editor, uh, or the poetry editor, if it's different. Uh, and who the readers are, if there are readers. Um, and I have to be honest and say, there's, you know, some of them uh, seem to have readers who are young people in, in or just out of MFA. We go back to this MFA idea. And I'm not sure, <laughs> gonna, I'm not sure they're going to really look at my stuff or will, will they ultimately take my submission uh, be because they're so much younger, some of these people, I'm looking at, you know, I don't want to be derogatory, but they're kids, uh, 22, 25 years old. I'm, I'm 69. So when I see that there's somebody 22 years old reading my work, I don't know, you know, I don't know what they, what they're getting. I know what I'm putting out there. I don't know what they're reading. You know what I'm saying? 
you know, they're just off of an MFA or they're just coming out of college. And I know they were taught to, to think this way or that when it comes to, I don't know how seasoned they are. And so I sometimes hesitate, honestly. Um, so what I'm doing differently is I'll probably still send it anyway, but it makes me wonder. But I do look at the mass head more. I do read the archive, uh, archives more to see what they're publishing. And sometimes I just, when I read stuff, <clears throat> I think, now nah, this stuff isn't, it's not for me and I don't send. Uh, so that's the one thing that I really got out of being an editor with uh, South Florida Poetry Journal. Right. So I think we're getting towards the end of the interview. Um, once more, I do want to thank you. Um, I do want to, first of all, if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that that you are working on right now, or that, that uh, I know you have a manuscript that you're in the process of uh, getting ready. But uh, I was wondering if there was anything else in particular that you were interested in discussing. Yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge um, I just had my manuscript. I'm calling it E because it's all E poems. I just had it edited and I'm getting ready to send it out. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's always kind of an exciting and slightly trepidatious moment. Trepidatious indeed. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I do want to thank you again. Thank you. Um, for being here. Um, and your work, uh, Witchery, can be found through SoFloPojo.com. That's right. And uh, as can the uh, the digital version of the anthology, which you're still currently working on uh, finding a publisher for. Yeah, the anthology is pretty much done, and I'm in the process of sending the poets their poem to proof to, and sometimes it's got to be adjusted or, you know, whatever. Uh, but it's pretty much done. And then I found a publisher who said they'd take a look at it because I wanted to see if we could do a print journal, uh, a print anthology. And so that might happen. Okay. Well, good luck with that. That's, that's Thanks. always exciting. I, I hope that uh, the listeners uh, enjoyed this conversation. I know that I found it interesting, especially hearing your perspective. And I want to appreciate, I, I want to thank you again for, for coming back. Uh, after the uh, the mishap the last time. My pleasure. Thank you, and, William. Uh, you're welcome. ARG, Not Another Podcast About Book Publishing is produced by Denise Marsa, Maggie Dimitrova, and William May. Please visit williammaywrites.com for social media links, recited poems, and more.